Good morning. Welcome to Celebrate Bible Church. Please take your Bibles to Matthew chapter number 8 this morning on this wonderful Labor Day weekend. So good to see such a great crowd. Glad that you are here. Matthew chapter number 8 as we dive into the scripture this morning. And have you ever been in a ship in a storm? Just curious. Been in a ship in a storm? A few of you. More than I thought would be. Man. Not a pleasant experience, right? Kind of unnerving, unsettling. It's a feeling where you just feel totally out of control. And that's really where we're coming to in this passage of scripture. It's Jesus about to get in a boat. And it's a very familiar passage of scripture. And there's going to be a storm. But what's interesting about this passage of scripture is that it takes place in the day in the life of Jesus. And the day starts out very calm, very normal for Jesus. And then in the midst of that calm comes the chaos. Have you been in the midst of calm in your life and out of nowhere chaos just comes down? Maybe you've been in a situation with your job and it's just calm. Things are going well. And then in a moment, chaos comes in. Maybe in your family, there's been calm. And then there's chaos. Maybe in your spirit, there have been times where you said, you know what? I didn't used to struggle with anxiety, with with fear. I used to sleep at night. I used to not have to depend on these sleeping pills. And I used to not have to depend on these other things. But now I find that I can't just calm down. I can't settle down without something. Because where once there was calm, now chaos reigns in my life and in my heart and in my soul. And this is where we find ourselves in this passage of scripture. Matthew chapter number 8. You could almost say that in this passage of scripture that Jesus is at a turning point in his ministry. A politician would say that the polls are up and in his favor. A sports team would say we've got momentum. We're unstoppable. A church might say that you know what the Holy Spirit is at our backs and we're in a move of God. It just kind of seemed like everything was going right for Jesus and those that followed him. They said at this point in Jesus' ministry, he has done some amazing miracles. And they they counted the crowds of the men in that day. And it was over 5,000 men. Scholars estimate that over 20 to 25,000 people at this time were following Jesus. You can't imagine a crowd just following you. I've been to this part of the country of Israel where where Jesus is teaching and doing his miracles. And to just step over the hill or where he taught some of these passages, and you're just thinking that there were tens of thousands of people following him. The Bible says they were coming from all over. They were leaving everywhere to follow Jesus. And Jesus, to escape the crowds, we come to verse number 18 of this passage, and that's where we begin reading. The Bible says, and when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. He's at the Sea of Galilee, and he's at what would really be the northernmost tip. And he's going to go down to what we would call the Gadareans, and that's almost like the southernmost part. So he's almost going to travel directly across the Sea of Galilee. And he's going to travel down the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is no small lake. It, it is called a sea for a reason. And if you've been there, you realize that this is quite a large body of water. Verse number 19. Then certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, 
I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Wind and wave obey Jesus. Now when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him saying, Lord, save us. We are perishing. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? Oh, you of little faith. Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? Ever been in a storm? I was traveling the summer of 2005, and I was in uh, Michigan, just, just below the Great Lakes. We were just, just in, the, in between Petoskey and Mackinac, or for those of you who don't know how to pronounce it, Mackinac, you know, if you've ever been there. So it, it, we were just in between them. There was this little town, and it was called uh, uh, Burt Lake is where we were at. And so one night, the uh, pastor and his family, and he had a bunch of teenagers, and we were traveling doing youth evangelism crusades, and we were staying at the pastor's home, which is a really cool place. It was this log cabin. I mean, every part of it was just log. They even had this table that was made out of one of the logs. They sawed in half. Just, just beautiful house. We were staying there. And so he had all these teenagers, and they said, hey, let's, let's, let's go out on the lake tonight, and let's just grab the canoe, and we'll just hang out. We'll go, we'll go out on the lake. And I, not Lake Michigan, just one of the lakes right there. And so he said, sure. Now, there was a rule with... Uh, the group I was traveling with that you weren't supposed to go swimming, all right? You weren't supposed to go swimming. They, you say, well, that's a dumb rule. Well, it's just one of their rules. But they didn't say anything about getting in a canoe and going out on the lake. So we figured, hey, this is fine. This is good. So a buddy of mine, we jump in the canoe and we had this brilliant idea. It's a pretty good sized lake. We thought, hey, we're just going to go and paddle all the way across. Now, I've never been in a canoe before. This is the first time. So we're paddling this canoe. I grew up kind of in the city and everything. So we're paddling this canoe. And normally when you're in a canoe, you don't sit up high, right? You sit low in the canoe because it doesn't really have a great center. Well, you guys know this. I didn't, all right? And the guy I was with, even though he was from Tennessee, was definitely nowhere near to a redneck or a hick. He didn't know anything. He knew less about canoes than I knew. And so we're both sitting up high and we're just, man, this is great. And it was kind of a calm night. And we're getting out to the middle of the lake, and we're just thinking, this is awesome. Literally, we're just like praising God. We were just like, how great is God's creation? We're really having this conversation. No, we weren't talking about the girls we wanted to marry or the cars we wanted to drive, the careers we wanted to have. We were literally talking about the majesty and grandeur of God and how awesome. And we were just out there just singing praises. It was just, we were just having a moment. But then the more we kept paddling, the waves got a little bit bigger. And the more we went further out, I was getting a little bit more nervous because I could feel just kind of every time that wave kind of hit you because in the middle of the lake, you couldn't see how choppy it was. And just even the slightest amount of wind would kind of send that canoe teetering just a little bit. And still we didn't have the forethought of the common sense to just kind of sit lower in the boat to kind of add a little buoyancy to it. No, no, no. We're still sitting up kind of high in this canoe. And all of a sudden I said, it's time to turn around. We, we got to turn this thing around now. If you've been in a canoe, you know that you don't just kind of do the long thing and turn it around, right? You just, you just turn around in your seats and then paddle the other way. That's what you would normally do, all right? We did not do this, okay? And you probably know where this story is going. So we're turning this thing, and all of a sudden, like I said, those waves are coming 
bloop, it flipped us right over. We were in the water and we're breaking a rule. We're not supposed to be swimming, but I'd rather be alive than drown and obey the rule. So I broke the rule and we're swimming. And all of a sudden we come up and I'm just kind of laughing and we were just thinking, this is funny. I was told Brandon, I was like, hey, grab the oar and I'll grab this oar and let's, let's flip this canoe back over. I thought, this is going to be no problem. So we grab and we flip the canoe over. Only one problem. Some of you that grew up in the Boy Scouts, you know you have to swamp the canoe. Anybody know what swamping the canoe means? It means get the water out of the canoe, right? We didn't know how to do that. So now we flip it over and this canoe is sitting really low in the water. Why? Because it's full of water. So Brandon's like, hey, I, I think we're supposed to get the water out of the canoe. I was like, duh, you think? And so we flipped it over and he was like, hey, how are we going to do this? So we both had this ingenious idea. Let's swim under the canoe and then we'll both kind of lift it out of the water. All right, together. All right, this is what we're going to do. So we both get under, and we're both under there. We can't see, but I can hear him. And he can hear him breathing and everything. And I was like, all right, man, on the count of three, let's push this canoe up, and we'll let the water, and then we'll flip it over, okay? So we did this. One, two, three. Then we were underwater. I mean, we were, like, looking at each other almost, and the canoe's up, but we're still underwater. There was no swamping this canoe. Now, some of you are like, no, no, it's really easy. Just tip it. Yeah, whatever. You weren't there, all right? So now... We've got this canoe. It's full of water. We're in the middle of this lake. And I'm thinking, how are we going to get this canoe? This isn't our canoe. How are we going to get it back to the shore? That's a pretty good swim. And so we tried to get as much water out as we possibly could. And we thought we got enough out so we both could get in. But it wasn't enough for both of us. So what we would do was one person would kind of push the canoe while the other person got to rest and kind of bailed out some water. It's the middle of the night. You're tired. And it's just like, oh, this is dumb. What am I doing out in this lake? And so one person's supposed to bail water out. But there's still the waves and everything. And we're actually starting to get a little bit nervous because it's actually getting really cold. And so even if you're in the canoe, it's really cold. If you're out of the canoe, it's, it's really, really cold. And so we're pushing this canoe and we're trying to swamp it and everything. And we would trade who gets in and who gets out. But every time we would swap, water just came back in. This kind of just seemed pointless to do. Well, it's my turn to be in the canoe and we're just rowing for land. The closest land that we could find. We just said, we're just going to make for the land, okay? Because it was too far for any of us to actually swim. We knew we wouldn't make it. But we thought maybe we could kind of get the canoe and hang on to it. So I'm inside the canoe and I'm kind of doing this little doggy paddle thing, bailing water and everything. And then Brandon's pushing. And as I'm doing this, Brandon's like, hey, Micaiah, look behind you. And I said, Brandon, just focus on land. I mean, this is serious. This is One of us is going to get hypothermia. It's going to turn into that Titanic thing. And, and you're going to drift off. And I'm going to say goodbye. And I'll tell your family you were great and everything. I was like, just focus on land. He's like, no, 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 Micaiah, just, just, just turn around. I was like, no, Brandon, just, just keep going. Just keep going. Focus, man. I, I think he's kind of losing it, you know. And I'm just like, ah, oh, paddle, paddle. And all of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, I see this guy walking, walking right in front of me. He's like, just look around. And I was like, oh. We didn't realize it, but there was some land that came way out into the lake where the lake had gotten lower. We didn't know how long we could have been walking. Who knows? Who knows? Y'all could have been just laughing. It was just one of those things where we just had no idea. So then we picked it up. We kind of act like nothing happened. And we walked the canoe in. That's my worst experience of being out in the storm. But that is nothing in compared to the storm that these disciples are going through. And these disciples encountered the storm. But what blows my mind is when I read this passage this week, I thought, how insensitive of Jesus. I mean, what an insensitive comment he makes. They're out in the storm. These are expert fishermen. They know that the Sea of Galilee is nothing to be messed with. 
If you want to just do an interesting study, just study the storms that came up on the Sea of Galilee. It can be a very dangerous place to be, even now to this day. You see those storms, it's, not, you don't, it's nothing you mess with. And so these experienced fishermen knew that this storm that they're in is serious. And some of you today, you came in and you're coming in from a storm. You say, it is serious. My relationship, this is serious. My job, it's serious. What's going on with my children is serious. What's going on with my health is serious. But what does Jesus say? Jesus said, why are you so fearful? Oh, you of little faith. Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. I thought, Jesus, how could you say something like that? Here are these people, they're terrified, they're scared for their lives, and you're just, you're just kind of dealing with their faith? Like, why would you do that? But then I began to study the rest of the passage. You see, you need to understand something. Chapter 8, we kind of just pick it up, and we just kind of think like, like, this is just normal. This is just, just a passage of the scripture. But you need to understand that this passage of scripture, actually, this day, actually begins in Matthew 5. You say, what do you mean Matthew 5? It actually begins in Matthew 5 with Jesus teaching the Sermon on the Mount. That's where this day begins, okay? So in Matthew 5, you get the the Sermon on the Mount, which is arguably the greatest sermon that Jesus ever gave. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is the Sermon on the Mount, this incredible sermon that Jesus teaches. The disciples are there. The crowds gather to hear this incredible sermon. But then after the sermon, you come to chapter 8. It's still the same day. And in chapter 8, the very first thing that happens is Jesus heals a man with leprosy. Just heals him. Then the next thing, they meet the centurion. The centurion has a servant that's sick in the same passage, chapter 8. Then Jesus says, hey, I'll go to your house, centurion, and I will heal your servant. But the centurion says, no, Lord, just say the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus makes this incredible statement. He says, I haven't found so great faith in all of Israel. And Jesus, not even being in the same place as the sick servant, heals the centurion's servant. And then in this same passage, Jesus then does a greater miracle. He heals Peter's mother-in-law, which you know is a miracle. I mean, that's just incredible right there. Some of you are saying, Lord, I need a touch of my mother-in-law, man. Lord, heal this, this demon, cast it out from her. Something, I don't know. But here's these miracles that happen. And now I got it. It clicked for me. Jesus said, guys, look at all that I just did. And you're worried that I'm not going to be able to handle this storm? Then I thought about it. You see... Your memory can become your greatest enemy. You say, what do you mean your memory can become your greatest enemy? Because we forget things that we should never forget, and we remember what we should forget. And that's where the battle is. Some of you have just seen God do something incredible in your life, and you've already forgotten about it. You've already forgotten about your salvation. You've already forgotten about how God has changed your past. You've already forgotten about all these miracles that God has done. And now a storm has come. There's chaos reigning and you're freaking out because you've forgotten. Your memory has become your enemy. Because now you're not remembering how God loves you and how God is sustaining you and how God is taking care of you. All that you can see and all that you could focus on is the storm that you're in in the moment. And God is saying, don't forget. 
Don't forget, in matter of fact, in the Proverbs, it says, remove not the ancient landmarks which your fathers have set up. Why would it say that? The landmarks were a token to be remembered of God's faithfulness. The children of Israel, everywhere they went, they would build these altars. They would build these memorials. To who? To their greatness? To their great name? Absolutely not. To the greatness of God, to the faithfulness of God, so that their children's children would see the stones, see the memorial, and remember how good God has been. Why does a church build a building? Not just so that we can have a comfortable place to be, so that we can see how good God has been, to see what he has done, to see what he can do and what he wants to do, that for future generations would see that, look what God did. You can trust him. Oh, parents, why do you, every time God does a miracle, you stop and you tell your children, Look what God did because you want them to remember how good God is. So when their calm turns to chaos, they instead of freaking out will then trust God and they'll understand that their faith is what's going to help them in the moment. So is your memory becoming your enemy? Sadly, today we suffer from short term memory loss. We don't, we don't remember all the good things that God has done and God will do. You see, God is sensitive to our needs. He is. God is sensitive to what's going on. But understand that God is moved by our faith. God is moved by our faith. Where is your faith in the midst of this storm? Where is your faith in the midst of this chaos that you're experiencing right now? Where is it found in? Because you need to look back and say, God, you've been good. God, you've been taking care of me. Instead, the apostles, their their problem was that the miracles that they saw, it turned into the mundane. It became commonplace. Some of you, the baptisms that took place last week, the three miracles that happened last week, that's incredible. That's something that I've been riding the spiritual high all week because in the last two months, we baptized five people. That's exciting. That is awesome. That's what the church ought to be doing. And so when we see things like that, let's never get over it. When we hear of somebody giving their life to Christ, let's never get over that. When we see a marriage come back together, let's never get over that. Let's write it down. Let's remember it. Let's think about it. Let's meditate on it. Let's give God the glory for it. When you get a paycheck, when God gives you an unexpected blessing, write it down and say, look how God has come through. Look what God has done. Because too often we look at these little miracles and it just becomes mundane to us just every day. Wasn't it a miracle that God woke us up this morning? Isn't that awesome? We get another day to serve God, another day to worship God, another day to give glory to him, to ascribe worth to our maker. And yet some of us just woke up, wiped the sleep from our eyes, fumbled around for the coffee pot, made a cup of coffee, and watched CNN. And just like nothing, when today is a gift, God has given us another day. This is a miracle. But instead, we miss the miracles Because we're so captivated by the mundane. And the disciples miss all that Jesus didn't do a year prior. He did it all on the same day. The greatest message in the entire scripture. The greatest message that ever will be preached was preached. And they, instead of understanding how good and how faithful God is, they freaked out about it. The next time you're tempted to give up. The next time you're tempted to just throw in the towel. Think back. On how good God has been to you. On how his faithfulness has always been there. You see, your memories can be your greatest enemy or they can be your greatest ally. It all depends. So stop being mastered by your memories. Stop being mastered by them. You say, what do you mean? 
You see, for some of you, you can't get over the memories of your past. You can't get over the memories of what you've done. And it's amazing that years can go by and those memories keep haunting you. I call it the haunted heart. Or no matter what you do, you'll go to a place and that memory will trigger you. And all of a sudden, the wave of guilt, the wave of shame, the wave of regret, the panic, the anxiety, the anxiousness, the cold sweat, the nervousness, the clamminess, the inability to sleep, the inability to, 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 to get sentences out. Why? Because you're so overwhelmed by these memories and these memories have mastered you. These memories of regret and Christ is saying, that's not what I want you to focus on. That's not what I want you to be bound by. I want you to be free from it. You see, worse than the storm that was happening around that ship was the storm happening inside the disciples' lives. Yes, there was a storm raging. Yes, your life may not be perfect. Yes, there may be things that are serious in your life. But God is trying to say that there can still be a peace in the midst of the storm. There can still be a calm. There can still be a hope. There can still be a love that God is going to work in your situation. You see, you choose the memories you consume, and then they consume you. I was reading the Huffington Post. They came out with an article that you and I, we think on average, 50 to 70,000 thoughts a day. That's incredible. That's incredible how many thoughts just run through your mind. Now that's you guys. Imagine me, how fast I talk, how many thoughts just keep coming, keep coming, keep coming, keep going. I mean, it's just nonstop, just going. I mean, last night it's like, come on, turn off, turn off, turn off, turn off. It just wouldn't. Man, I was looking for a pillow. My son had stolen my pillow, and so I had his pillow. I had a Buzz Lightyear pillow. Not comfortable at all, and it smelled like his drool or something. I was like, what's up with this pillow? So in the middle of the night, I took his pillow. I was like, here, dude, you take this. I need my pillow. I can't sleep. And then the first thing out of his mouth this morning, you know what he said? Who took my pillow? Who took my, your pillow? It was my pillow. You took it from me. I couldn't sleep. And I had all these thoughts running through my mind because I needed my pillow to help me sleep. And so we have these thoughts that are just running through our mind and we're not choosing what we consume. And so instead, we got to understand we got all these thoughts. And did you know that scientists ex- estimated that 70 to 80% of those thoughts are all negative? They're all negative. 70 to 80% of your thoughts are all negative. So if our thoughts are all negative, think about that kind of power it can have on our life. Think about that kind of power that it can have on your health. Come on, the mind is a powerful thing. It's about 10 o'clock. We're not quite hungry. Maybe you had a good breakfast. But in a little bit, 11 o'clock crowd, I can't keep them too long. They, they get hangry. All right? They get hangry. So, but you guys, you guys aren't quite hungry. But imagine if you were hungry and you started thinking about your favorite meal. I don't know what it might be. Maybe it's a really good Kobe steak. Maybe you've had real Kobe steak. Or maybe for you, it's sushi. You have this favorite sushi. Or maybe for you, it's peanut butter and jelly. God help you, but maybe it's peanut butter and jelly. And whatever, all of a sudden, you start thinking about it, you know what's going to start happening? Something in your mouth is going to start happening. Start salivating. You can't smell the food. You can't see the food, but your brain triggers your mouth that, guess what? Food's on its way. How about this one? Some of you, you've seen a few more years than I have. You've watched a few children walk down the aisle. You've watched a few grandchildren being born. And you just thinking about it causes your eyes to do something kind of funny. You just start thinking about when your first 
baby went off to school and off to college. And when your baby had their first baby, and the tears just, they just start to come. The emotion, you live it all over again. It's like you're experiencing it. It's like you're seeing it all over again. And it's only because you started thinking about it. Because the mind has power. And what happens is when we fill our mind with these negative thoughts, when we fill our mind with these things, they start to master our emotions. They start to master our health. They start to master our moods. And so all of a sudden, our whole life is painted by this. So what are you saying? The Bible says this, the Apostle Paul, it says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. The Apostle Paul had to literally spell it out what we're supposed to think about. Because why? Because we could be mastered by our memories. Instead of allowing the memories of all that Jesus did in chapter 8, hey, instead of thinking about in the middle of that storm, swapping stories, saying, hey, did you see that guy, that leper? He was an outcast of society. Nobody could be around him, but yet Jesus was not afraid of him. You see what we all did? We all covered our mouths and we all said, way unclean, we stayed away. But Jesus just stood there. Eyes full of compassion with arms stretched out saying, come on, come on, leper. I'm not afraid of you. I'm not afraid of your problems. I'm not afraid of what you carry because I've got something that's going to cure it. And they didn't talk about that. And they should have talked about, did you see that centurion? Man, he was so humbled. I mean, you got to think about it. The centurion was, a, these Romans were oppressing the Israelites. And to think a centurion humbling himself to a Jewish carpenter, unthinkable. And here the centurion, you can see this big, strong warrior. He's the elite of the elite. And here he was humble before Jesus. Here he was saying, I'm not worthy for you to even come to my house. Romans took what they wanted by force. And if a Roman wanted Jesus to come, there was no way that they would not try and say, hey, I'll take you by force if that Roman wanted him. He said, hey, I'll I'll pick you up. I'll have my soldiers. I'll command my legions to come and take you. But this Roman legion and centurion instead, the humility he had before Jesus. And Jesus, instead of uh, saying, no, you're oppressing my people, Jesus healed the servant. What were they talking about? What was their mind? Their mind was on the waves. Notice verse number 26. The Bible says, but he said to them, why are you fearful? And then verse 25 says, then the disciples came to him. They said, because why the, the waves, the waves are covering the boat. Here the waves are rising. The waves are coming. And maybe in your life you feel like something's happening. The waves are coming. And they're overwhelming you. And it's time for you to push back on your problems. It's time for you to say, you know what? Yes, there are waves. Yes, there are struggles. But I'm going to push back against those problems. I'm not just going to let these waves crash over my soul and over my heart and keep defeating me. It's time that I push back against those. And it's time, believer, that you push back against your problems. It's time that you stand up and say, wait a minute. I'm more than a conqueror through Christ. That yes, there is this chaos reigning. Yes, there is difficulties. But I'm going to push back. And that's why Jesus rebuked them. He said, look, don't you have the faith? The faith that pushes back against these problems? Don't you have the faith that says God met me in my darkest moments? He'll still be with me? It wasn't like now that I'm saved, God forgets about me. No, Jesus is still there. So I can push back on my problems. Understand, Christian, God is not pleased by your pain. He's pleased by your progress. The pain you're experiencing does not please God. And maybe you've thought that. Maybe you thought, maybe God just takes some pleasure in what I'm going through. He takes no pleasure. No pleasure in it. He takes no pleasure in someone hurting, someone grieving. 
But it takes pleasure in your progress, in your growth. So push back in your problems. You see, this faith is not ruined in the storm. Your faith is not being ruined by the storm. Some of you, that's what you think. Oh, my faith is being destroyed right now. I'm about to lose my faith. I'm about to give up my faith. Your faith is not ruined in the storm. It's revealed in the storm. That's what the storm does. It reveals our faith. What is God revealing about you right now? What's he revealing? That maybe you're short-tempered. Maybe you're easily bothered. Easily offended. Easily distracted by phones that go off. Easily just perturbed by things. Just easily frustrated. What is God trying to reveal about your faith that you need to grow in? You see, when there's an outburst, when there's something that's not right, God is trying to get you to say, hey, this is a growth point for you. This is a point where you need to develop and grow in grace. And instead of us getting frustrated about it, we say, God, thank you for the opportunity to grow. It's almost the holiday season, which means some of you get to be around people that you don't necessarily love as much as you love Jesus. And yet some of you are like, I just wish they would meet Jesus. Then it would be a whole lot easier. You know, they just go on home to heaven. You know, it just might be make my life a little bit more simpler. And now you're thinking, I've got to go be with these people. I've got to go spend time with these people. What am I going to say to these people? And you need to understand that these people are for your growth and your development. They really are. So next time you see them, you get to say thank you. God is using you in my process of sanctification. God is using you to aggravate and annoy me to make me a better Christ follower so that I'll be prepared for other people that aggravate and annoy me. Maybe you don't say that exact thing to them, but it's just a thought. You just think it, let the filter catch it, okay? So you're in this process of growth, this process of development. So push back in your problems, but don't only push back in your problems. It's time you preach to your promises, You say, what do you mean preach to your promises? You know there's over 3,000 promises given to us in scripture? 3,000! 3,000 promises from God. There's a promise of his peace. There's a promise of his provision. There's a promise that they're, they're to widows. There's a promise for the childless, the orphan. There's a promise of his protection. There's a promise of his power. There is a promise for you. And instead of freaking out, maybe it's time we go back to the word and we say, you know what? I'm going to preach to my promise that God said he would never leave me nor forsake me. Though people leave me, though the job may leave me, God has not left me. So I will not get discouraged. I will not get frustrated. I will keep on going. Though you feel weak, though you feel lonely, though you feel discouraged, though you feel depressed, you say, God is near to those that have a broken heart. God, I have a broken heart. That means you're near to me. God, thank you for your promised presence. And God says, I've never seen the, 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 the seed begging bread where the, the orphan or those that are destitute. He said, hey, I've never seen them begging bread. God says, I'll take care of you. I promise to be with you. So God hasn't abandoned you. God hasn't deserted you. So it's time you preach to your promises. I want to ordain you all to preach to your problems this week, okay? This week, you're going to preach to your problems. When the problem comes, you're going to preach at that problem. Instead of saying, oh no, here that problem comes, it's time you say, I'm going to preach to that problem. This promise of frustration, it's constantly coming. You see it every week. Some of you, your problem's going to start on Tuesday because you don't have to go to work on Monday. And so you're going to, your problem's coming on Tuesday. Or some of you, you're like, I know exactly what problem I've got to face. And instead of look, dreading it, instead of getting frustrated and claiming hands and, and losing sleep over it, it's time you preach to that promise that God said, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to help you. Because when your faith rises, fear falls. When your faith rises, fear falls. 
And that's the point of this. The waves were rising and their faith was falling. But God is trying to get you where your faith is rising so the fears will fall. What's rising in your life? For everyone here, something is rising. Either faith or fear. What's rising? Faith or fear? What's rising? Faith or fear? What's rising? Faith or fear? Every day, that's the battle. What's rising in my life today? What's rising? What's coming up? Is it fear? Is it faith? Which one's coming up? That's why in the morning, we start our morning with God. Say, God, I need to be filled with faith today. We need mothers filled with faith. We need fathers filled with faith. We need elders filled with faith. We need believers filled with faith. We need Christian school teachers filled with faith. We need public school teachers filled with faith. We need people in law enforcement filled with faith. We need people in the medical industry filled with faith. We need janitors filled with faith, not with fear. There's enough fear in society, on the news, on television, in the newspaper. We don't need any of it in the house of God. We need people of faith. That's what we need in the house. You see, Hebrews chapter number one, verse three, who after he had purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the father. Jesus is sitting down. He's in control. He's right there by the Father. He's not worried. But I know what happens. They're frustrated. They even came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, do you not care that we're, we're going to perish? Kind of funny. Because they're not dead. They're not. But they're freaking out like they are. God gave me this little statement two weeks ago as I was driving back. Actually, no, he gave it to me Monday night. Man, time flies when you're having fun. I was driving back from the city on Monday night, about 11 o'clock at night, and the waves were rising. Not faith, the waves. About things that hadn't even happened. You ever been there? Things that haven't even happened yet, you're already worried about them. I know you're a much better Christian than I am, so we'll just diagnose me right now. But these things were just coming at me, and I was so worried about it. And then it was like God inaudibly spoke to me. He said, until it happens... It hasn't happened. Oh, I really don't want that person to be president. Until it happens, it hasn't happened. I'm really worried if I'm going to get this disease, this Zika thing. I, I, whoa, until it happens, it hasn't happened. I don't know about my job. I just, whoa, I'm keep, keep worried. I'm so frustrated. I just don't know what's going to happen. Until it happens, it hasn't happened. I just don't know about my spouse. I don't know. They love me. They can stay with me. Until it happens, it hasn't happened. My children, I just don't know if they're going to make it. I just don't know. And I'm so concerned. I'm so bothered. I'm so worried. Until it happens, it hasn't happened. Can we say that? Touch your neighbor and say, until it happens, it hasn't happened. Oh, you're not convinced. Some of you are just not very Christian. You don't want to, you don't want to talk to your neighbor. Come on, it's all right. They won't bite. They're, they love you. Until it happens, it hasn't happened. Until it happens, it hasn't happened. Some of you are telling the whole story. I don't know what you got going on, but man, you're just like giving counseling. You want the mic? I can hand it to you. You see, I see confidence in the business world. I see confidence in athletes. I see confidence in actors and actresses. I see confidence in your workplace. But I do not see confidence in the church. Have you noticed the same thing or am I alone? It seems like everywhere you go, people are just very confident. But we get to the church all of a sudden, we just seem like, what's going to happen? Nothing that God didn't allow to happen or wants to happen. And until it happens, it hasn't happened. Because we're letting these waves of fear wash over us. 
and destroy us and pull us down. And God is saying, preach to your promise. Push back on those problems. Preach to your heart. Preach to your soul. Get a verse and say, this is my verse. We need to stop rehearsing the word and start reading the word. We just need to get into it and really allow it to soak inside of us and just say, you know what? This is my verse. How many have a life verse? Let me see your hands. You got a life verse? Some of you, you're new to the, new to Christianity. This is what a life verse is. A life verse is kind of your mantra. It's your motto. It's that thing that you hold to in the darkest days. It's that thing that no matter what happens, you hold to that verse. Your verse may be Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. That may be your verse. Your verse may be in Isaiah 41, where it says that the weak is they wait upon the Lord to mount up with wings like eagles. That may be your verse. Your verse may be in Psalms 23, that yea, though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. That may be your verse, but you find a verse and you hold to that. No matter what situation you're focusing on, you say, you know what? I got a verse. I've got the word of God. It's living. It's breathing. It's inside of me. So from now on, I'm going to doubt my doubts and I'm going to feed my faith. You say, how can you do that? Because you got to understand, like these disciples, Christ was in the boat. But you have something better than Christ in the boat. I said, church, you got something better than Christ in a boat. Christ is in me. And if you put your faith and trust in him, he's in you too. Here's another little statement. Christ is in me. I am enough. Christ is in me. I am enough. Some of you are so worried. These disciples, they said, we just don't have what it takes. We just needed a bigger boat. Why did we get such a little old rickety boat? Peter, why didn't you fix your boat? We've been telling you to fix your boat for weeks now. You didn't fix it. Now we're all going to die. And we could easily be distracted by we don't have something. But when you've got Christ, you've got everything you need. Christ is in me. I am enough. Christ is in me. I am enough. Preach to your promises and then choose which memories you're magnified. Last verse, verse number 27. Would you notice what the disciples said? It's curious. So the men marveled saying, who can this be? Excuse me? Who can this be? Did they not see who this was? This is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the one foretold in scripture, the one that's going to come to take away the sins of the world. And now you're wondering who can this be? What I love about Matthew's gospel is he wrote explicitly to convey who Jesus was. He left nothing out. Even in the genealogies, which we usually in chapter 1 of Matthew skip over because it's a long list of 28 names. Some we can pronounce, some we can't pronounce, and some we would rather just not hear because it just takes so long. But Matthew leaves nothing out in the genealogy of Jesus because why? He's trying to convey who Jesus is. That he really is the prophet foretold in scripture. There's 28 generations mentioned in that passage of scripture. It's seven brought over six times. It's a number of completion. It's Jesus saying that I am the fulfillment of all the law and the prophets. I am the fulfillment of scripture. I'm that long awaited prince of peace. I am Emmanuel, God with us. I am your forebearer that you thought would never come. That I am Jesus. That's who I am. And they missed it. Why? Because... They magnified the wrong memory. And that's what we do. We're magnifying the wrong memories. Oh, I know some of you have been through difficulties. You've been hurt. And that's all you can magnify. Did you know what you focus on, you get more of? 
I said, what you focus on, you get more of. I'm divorced, I'm divorced, I'm divorced, I'm divorced. You get more of that. I'm an alcoholic, I'm an alcoholic, I'm an alcoholic. You get more of that. What you focus on, you get more of. So what are you focusing on? They were not focusing on Jesus. Because at this point, they're marveling at who could this actually be? Did you miss it? Here Jesus has come. Jesus came and he changed everything. You see, Jesus is not just some good man. Jesus is this unbelievable person that showed up on the scene. And they still were not quite sure who he was. And I think that's what, what, what might be some of our problem. We're not totally convinced who Jesus is and what he can do and what he has said. We need to have it settled in our minds and our hearts who Jesus is. That he is this unbelievable person with this unquestionable personality. But I love this. We've got to move with unlimited power. You say, what do you mean unlimited power? Isaiah says that God has measured out the heavens or the universe. Heavens and universe is the same word with a span. Span is from the tip of your thumb to the tip of your pinky. That's a span. God says, I measure it out like that. That's how God measures the cosmos. Science, we can't even see the entire heavens. And God says, I step back from it and that's how big I am. Science gave us a number and I couldn't even read the number for you. I would need somebody else, a mathematician, just here to read the number. I literally, it was just too advanced for me to comprehend. Because they said we can kind of measure the galaxies. So based on our best progr- uh, 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 I guess, we can kind of see how big God is. But then in that same verse, it says he takes the world's oceans and he puts them in the palm of his hand. The oceans of the world are in his palm. Did you know that the earth is, or the seas in the earth is 322 million cubic miles of water? You say, what's a cubic mile? It's over 5,000 square miles. That's a cubic mile. 5,000. And God says 322 million cubic miles fit in the very little palm of Jesus' hand. Unlimited power. That's what Jesus is. And Jesus said, I've got your problem right here. You see, the question isn't, the question isn't, have I lost my faith? That's not the question. That's not the question. The question isn't, am I still saved? That's not the question. The question we need to start asking ourselves. If God says, hey, the world's oceans are in the, the very palm of my hand. The oceans. The things that I'm afraid of. Scuba diving in the ocean because of jaws and sharks and jellyfish. And God says, I got all that in the palm of my hand. The question we need to ask ourselves is, if God says, John 10, that I'm in his hand too, that can God lose me? Not can I lose God, but can God lose me? Can God lose you, Christian? No. Will God lose you? No. Will God drop you? Will God let you go? Will God forget you? Will God neglect you? Will God pass you by? Will God skip you? Will God accidentally somehow pass over you? No. The answer is emphatically no because of his unlimited power. And God says, I've got you. So this morning, this morning, the title of this message was, How to Sleep in the Storm. I thought I would get way more happy about that and how to sleep in the storm because that's what we need today. You with all your sleeping pills, this is a good message. How to sleep in the storm.
You can sleep in the storm when you realize that he's not letting me go. He's unlimited in power. And Jesus says, I've got you. So what's rising right now, Christian? What's rising in your heart? What's rising in your life? What's going to rise on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday? What's going to rise in your heart and mind as you pillow your head tonight? It's faith or your fears. Let's all stand. Every head bowed and every eye closed. The disciples, they woke up Jesus from his nap. And Jesus, he rebukes the storm. And some of you feel like Satan whispers to you that you cannot withstand the storm. Because Satan whispered to Jesus that Jesus, you can't withstand the storm. And Jesus responded, I am the storm. I made the storm. I'm bigger than this storm. And Christ is in you this morning. If you've received him, you are more than enough. I was praying for you last night before I went to bed. I was praying because I knew some of you struggle with getting your sleep, with getting your rest. I knew some of you struggle with fears and anxieties. And this morning, right now, the worship team is playing Everybody else is in a posture and an attitude of worship with eyes closed and heads bowed. And this is your moment to do business with God. This is your time to say, God, let faith rise and let fear fall in my heart. And this morning you're saying, I've been struggling, Pastor. And I need somebody to pray with me. I've been struggling with things and I've been wrestling with it and I seem to get no victory, no peace, no calmness. Would you slip out so that we could pray for you? Myself and Pastor Wes are right here. We'll pray with you. Just slip out. We want to pray with you. Is there anybody like that? He's saying, I have no peace. I need peace this morning. Some are coming forward. Is there anybody else? He said, I need peace. I'm in this storm and it's raging in my life. Maybe for you, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And this for you is the moment where you say, I'm going to put my faith and trust in Jesus. You just slip out right now. We'll have somebody show you how you can be sure about your salvation. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. God, you are all powerful. Robed in majesty and splendor and glory. Your word says, what is man that thou takest thought of him? But you do. You're mindful of us. You haven't forgotten us and neglected us. And Lord, help us. Help us to not be mastered by our memories. Help us to focus on the right memories. Help us to remember all the good things that you're doing. Oh, I pray that we would turn the trend where it's not 70,000 negative thoughts. But it's thoughts of peace. Thoughts of purity thoughts of God's goodness we pray this over our church we pray this over our church families we pray that our church would be a different kind of place because we think differently we think like you taught us to think to think about what is true what is right what is holy and pure I pray that that's what our mind will stay fixed on we pray this and all God's people said amen